just give you a chance today to kind of get a deep breath, um, to get some perspective. If you're visiting with us, if you haven't been around New Life before, or if you've never been around New Life, um, this is a, uh, a good chance for you to get to see who we are. This sermon series um, is less, uh, it's, it's less about um, um, really, I guess it's more about who we are really than what God um, is doing in our community right now. But uh, we, what we saw is as we, as we develop who we are, God uses that um, in our community. And we're going to talk about that today too. So excited about that. But every week around here at New Life, before we um, go through this sermon um, and before we get to this time in our service, we do the same thing every week. Um, September will be 10 years for me, and we've been doing it, I think, ever since I've been here, um, where we just take a moment to kind of take a deep breath. Um, and we use that phrase very intentionally. Um, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, um, uses a deep breath often. Um, there's a word, if you look through the book of Psalms, um, and if you've ever opened your Bible you, and found Psalms, you can actually just open right in the middle and you'll be in Psalms. Um, Psalms is a, a book that was written like poetry. It was kind of written as poetry to God, and um, it sounds lovey-dovey in some places, but it also gets really angry and actually uses some pretty pretty foul language. Um, maybe you've felt that way about God. Um, and so I think there's some things you might resonate with, but in the middle of it, every now and then, the writer uses a word um, the word in English is selah. Um, it's translated selah. And um, you'll see it in your Bible if, you've, if you ever open up the Psalms. Um, the word selah is a break. It's a pause. Um, and it's, it's a, it was used during for musicians at the time, but it was, it's also used for the writer to just kind of go, God, you're so great. God, you're so good. He says that a little bit. And then he kind of goes, all right, God, now I'm really mad about this. Or this really frustrates me. Or I don't understand this. And then he goes, and I want to understand this more. And, he, and that word selah is a deep breath. It's a moment. And, and it's really, really important to your life, um, the word selah. Even if you're not sure you believe the whole God thing, getting a deep breath um, will be the difference sometimes between you making a terrible decision and you getting some perspective on things. Getting a selah, a deep breath, may be the, decision, or may be the difference between you being so self-consumed with your own pain or your own thing in your life that you completely miss exactly what the Creator has for you to do in someone else's or in your moment um, of pain. And so this is, this is a life changer. It really is. And if you don't get this in your life um, and you, you don't intentionally create that selah moment, um, you should try to do that. But I'll tell you, we, we make it a part of our service every week because it's a waste of time for you to listen to the next 25, 30 minutes, <coughs> 40 minutes of sermon um, unless you get that, who, who am I? What am I really doing here? And so whether you're a Christian or not, if you believe this stuff, um, that's fantastic. If you don't believe this stuff, that's fantastic too. Um, our, our job is not to convince you that there is a God and that he loves you. That, our job is to just to pronounce it in our own life. And uh, we believe God's working on you. Um, that's not our job. Our job is just to be non-judgmental and to love you um, and to love each other and let God do his thing. So whatever you believe today, this is a great opportunity. If you're listening online, great opportunity for you to close your eyes unless you're driving. Don't do that. Um, and just get a big, deep breath this morning before we jump into our sermon. God, in the quiet of this room, we pause 
no matter what we believe, no matter what we brought in here, anger, frustration, joy, peace, anxiety, whatever it is, God, would right now we choose, because you've given us this choice out of love, we choose who we listen to and what we focus on. And out of all the things you give us, we give you these next few moments. Would you speak deeply into who we are? Something more important than we can get in a book or hear on a television show or get from a friend. Would you speak into the depths of who we are? And we'll listen and then we'll do more than that. We'll act. We'll choose to change who we are because of being in contact with you. God, those in this place today who can't seem to, to see past themselves, maybe the guy on the stage included, would you give us a moment today where we get a bigger picture of who we are and what you've called us to do and be? Would you be honored by the way we listen and act in your son's name? Amen. This sermon series has been really fun for me. Um, it's been a really kind of a catharsis. Um, you know that word catharsis? Um, it's one of my favorite words. It's this ah, kind of like a deep breath that you exhale all the kind of anxiety and frustration. Because during po uh, the political season, um, it's not the politicians that drive me nuts, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, the politicians, they are what they are. We all know what they are. But what frustrates me the most during political elections are people who claim to believe what I believe and are representing me and representing Jesus out there on Facebook and other places and saying things that are just flat-out stupid. Just things that don't represent God, that don't represent faith, and by far don't represent me. Things that are often judgmental, things that often separate, things that often set church and Jesus people apart by saying that we are against things instead of we are for things. Um, and, and it's been so frustrating to me throughout my life. And throughout this season, honestly, in the middle of politics, some of you would say this is the most frustrating uh, political season of your life, that the candidates are as far from what you would want as your president as any in history. Um, some of you may not say that, but there's been a lot of polarizing conversation about politics right now. And for some reason during this season, I have never been at more peace. Um, as an adult and as a Christian when it comes to this. And I think because I have st I've started to understand what God has called us to do and be, especially as a church and especially as Christians. And, and it's not because I've had this an epiphany and it's not because I'm a good Christian and I study a lot and I spend a lot of time in prayer. I, I would like for you to believe that, but the truth is I'm struggling just like you are. The truth is God has led me to this sermon series and to a lot of topics like this over this season that have, have given me a big picture as to what he's called us to do and be. And in the midst of that, I've learned some really important things. And one of them is this, that when I see a mess in my life, when I see somebody that's a mess, a person that's a mess, or when I see some, a, a mess, just a situation, whether it's um, an affair that has caused something awful, a drug addiction that has finally got pulled out, a pornography addiction that finally ruined a marriage once it, it, it finally came out. When I see messes on television and I see people caught in lies and politicians lying me right to, the, right to my face, I see it, I know it, I know what they're saying, and I know it doesn't match up, and they haven't even been caught, they may not even need to be caught, I know it, and I start to see these messes. My, my first reaction is usually to point and, and yell. It's, it, it, this happens in sports to me, too. In fact, 
The truth is, I'm such a, I, I'm more of a shallow person than I would want you to believe. I actually probably get more upset about sports than I do about politics. Um, when my team is making a bad decision, when I believe they're putting the wrong quarterback in, when I believe they're, that offense, they're running again, they're isolating in college basketball, and I'm tired of that, I will get so angry, I'll start pointing at the screen and yelling and pretending I'm going to call the coach, you know, and, and pretending that anybody really cares what I think, you know. Uh, um, and, and this is what happens to us when we lose perspective on what we're doing in our life and, and, and what, on what we've got. The truth is all my sports team have been a mess at one point in my life. I am a lifelong Cubs fan. Um, so I have seen the biggest messes in sports. Um, and now I'm seeing one of the best seasons um, of, of Cubs history and maybe baseball history until something's going to happen. I know something's going to happen. There's going to be a big mess. And the truth is, I can finally, as an adult, start to look at sports and go, you know what, it's sports. It doesn't matter in the long run. But we don't do that in our life when it comes to other messes. And as, we've, I've, as I've been studying what it looks like for messes, I've realized one thing, and that is this, that that the messes we create, these awful things, and maybe we create them ourselves. Maybe you're in a mess right now, a relationship mess that you've created. Maybe you're just a bystander, innocent bystander that's got into the tornado, you know, and somehow you're having to pay for someone else's mess. Whatever it is, here's the thing about God. He doesn't look at those messes and run away from them or look at those messes and judge them and point fingers. Here's what God does. In fact, the thing about God is, he, doesn't, he didn't flood the earth when he saw the messes this time. He did that once. He, he didn't set everything on fire. This time, when he saw the sin, when he saw the messes, when he saw people that had living in their own mess, he said this, i got to get down there. And so he sent Jesus. This is what we believe. And as Jesus walked the earth, he said, I'm tired of you pointing at messes. You know God doesn't point at messes, and I'm tired of you pointing at messes. So here's what I'd like you to know. When you see a mess, and I've been doing this for about three months, um, I've, been, I've been trying to do this as much as I can. When you see a mess, when you see somebody that is making a bad choice or something you think is wrong, when you see a politician say something that you disagree with, when you see your family member or somebody in your life who has created a mess, your job is not just to point at the mess and yell or laugh or do something else. It's to do this. It's to be able to say this. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. <laughs> I have created a mess. I have developed a mess. I have done something in my life that has pushed me into a mess like that. And if you can do this, even if you're not sure you believe all the, the Jesus stuff, if you, can, if you can do this in your life, it will change your perspective. Uh, Jesus, um, in John 14, says something that I think is really apropos for Father's Day. Um, he, when he came to earth, he realized that the people didn't know what to think of God. In fact, some of us right now in this room, we have such a far, far away picture of who God is. Um, we can't really know what he looks like. We can't really know exactly how he is in all ways. But a lot of us in this place think of God as a policeman. Like he's sitting up there with a baton or a, a taser ready just for you to make the wrong decision and just zap you. And other people think of God as like a, a school mom. Or, or, uh, or my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Bakovitz, who I still have bad dreams about. Just, I felt like her job in life was to keep me from having fun. Like there was all these things that I could be doing to have fun. And her job, she got paid by the school system to keep John from having fun. Some of us feel like that's what God is. Like his main goal in life is just to keep you away from the things that you want most. So Jesus said, I need a way to talk about who God is. And so he began to say, if you want to know what God looks like, look at me. 
He said, if you want to know what God looks like, look at me. And then he said, and if you really want to feel what God feels, be a father. If you want to know what God looks like and what God feels and how God operates and how God thinks about you, you need to think about God as a perfect father. Now, some of you in this place had not so much good perfect fathers. (laughs) And so the way you think of a perfect father is to think of the antithesis of your father. (laughs) And some of you had great fathers who made some mistakes, and, who, and some of you then are fathers or are mothers or are parents today. And the truth is what Jesus says is, if you look at me, you're going to see the kinds of things that God would say to you. But if you look at a father, a perfect father, if you think of a perfect father, that's what God is to you. So when you think about a mess that you've made, think about if you were... Not, not necessarily the bad fathers in your life, but if you were a perfect father, if you knew a perfect father, how would they feel about a mess in your life? Would they, would they first want to, to punish you and destroy you and, and point and yell? Or would they want to walk you through it? Would they want to, to bail you out so that you get into this mess again? Or would they want you to learn something from this? And, and that's kind of the way Jesus talks. In fact, he's talking to a big group of people at one point, and he says, if you, really, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him, because I am just like him, and I am, I am as close to him as you'll ever see. And the truth is, he showed over and over and over, and this is what we're going to hit today. I, I'm, I'm excited to get to kind of break open one piece of the Bible to share with you today. What we're going to hear today is that God loves you in the middle of your mess. There's no question. So whatever you brought today, whatever mess you've got, and if you're listening online, some of you are in such a mess that you won't come to church because you think the walls will fall down if you show up. Um, the truth is God loves you right where you are. You don't have to be anything or do anything different. To, to make God love you any more than those of you who have had children who have fallen away from, from what you've taught them and have kind of pushed one direction or another, uh, another. You may be angry with them. You may be disappointed in them. But there is, there's not this, this break off of love. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. And the truth is, he has the power to move you in the direction that he would like to see you go. I love this uh, piece of scripture. Um, in John and also in Philippians, because it starts to unload what the Christian life is about. And I, and I, I really want to kind of talk to two different groups of people today. Um, one group of people is a group of Christians who have kind of, we may have, have forgotten or may have started to drift away from what the Christian faith looks like throughout history and what Jesus set the Christian faith up to be. And then another group of people who are kind of kicking the tires to see what that looks like. I want you to know that you may have been misrepresented as to what that looks like today. And so I, I want to kind of pick that apart. Um, the Christian life is not just about staying out of trouble. I, I want you to imagine, if you could, I'm, I'm a dad. My daughter is uh, 10 years old. Um, I have to say that slowly. Um, I can't believe she's 10 years old. She brought me my Father's Day gift today, and she brought me a card that is better than most Hallmark cards. I mean, it rhymed. It, it, it was just beautiful. It was illustrated, and I, I just couldn't believe it. And um, but when I think about her growing up, I think about what it might be like when, <coughs> when there is a man in her life, which it's hard for me to even say right now. But I, I want you to imagine for a second, if you're a dad or if you're a mom or if you've got a daughter, you don't even have to to, to imagine this. What would it be like if, if your daughter introduced you to a guy, said, Dad, um, oh, this is uh, Bear, and uh, we're, we're getting pretty serious. I'd like for you to get to know him. And so he sits on your couch, and you say, well, Bear, um, how old are you? 
Well, I'm, I'm 22, sir. Well, what do you want to do with your life? And then this is what Bear tells you. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I never want to get another DUI. That's one of my goals, is to not get any more DUIs. Another one of my goals is I, I never want to go back to prison. Um, that's another goal. There, so there's two goals for sure. I don't want to go to jail, and I don't want to get a DUI. Um, and um, I, I'm never going to get another girl pregnant. That's, the other, that's my last goal. <laughs> Can you imagine? See you, bear, right? But we treat God like that, don't we? You sit on God's couch, and you say, God says, what's your goal for your life? Well, I just need to stay out of trouble. I'm never going to do that again, right? I'm, I'm going to quit smoking. That's your goal? As a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, your goal is to stay out of trouble? Your goal is to not get into pornography? Your goal is to not get drunk? Your goal is to not smoke? Your goal? No. God's got to look at that and go, well, that's not why I built you. That's not who you are. And by the way, you have totally missed the joy that God has intended for your life. If you're sitting here today and you feel like that's what the Christian faith is, one, if you're a Christian and you feel that way, you need to be listening and you need to hit this hard. If you don't disagree with me, or if you disagree with me today, you need to come find me or you need to go find somebody else that, and, and pick this thing apart because if this is true, it will change the way you live your life. And if you're not a Christian and you're kind of kicking your tires on this, you better make sure you say yes or no to the right kind of Christianity because the one that many Christians are displaying is not the one that you want to say yes or no to. This is what real Christianity looks like. This is what real following Jesus, this is what the real faith looks like. A guy named Paul um, wrote, uh, he started the first church in Europe, um, and you can still visit some of the ruins from these today. He started this first church in Europe, and it was a, it was a little place um, in a place called Philippi. Um, and Philippi was just this, this small little town that he decided this place needs Jesus. And when he did this, he didn't say, hey, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to be known for a group of people who don't do things. <laughs> you don't engage in homosexuality. I want you to be known for that. You don't uh, get drunk. I want you to be known for that. You don't do this. You don't do this. That's what I want you to be known for. That's not at all why he started a church. In fact, can you imagine starting a church like that? It would have never lasted. Because nobody cares about what you don't do. Nobody cares what you stand against. Paul said, here's what I want you to be. I want you be to be the first group of people, the first group of humans in the world that actually look for people who are mean to them and, look and care for them. I, I want you to be the first group of humans in the world that will reach out to lepers and touch them and not be scared to die in the midst of caring for them. I want you to be the first group in the world that is known because of the way you love each other, the way you treat each other. Not known for what you stand against, not known for what you disagree with with the world, but known for how you live your life and how you love each other. That's, that's how Paul started this church. He started this little group of people, and they didn't sit in orange pews and point in all the same direction and look up at a preacher. They did life together, and when there were problems, they took care of each other. And when there were issues, they took care of each other. And when there were celebrations, they celebrated together. And they began to grow, and they began to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And people started flooding to them, not because of what they came against in their life, and not because they pointed at messes and, and yelled at people and stood against things, but because they stood for something. And they were, 
they had they had fallen a, a, they had followed a, a risen savior a, a, a Jesus Christ who who the rumor was had died and risen again and these people believed it and so that just kept growing and growing and growing and so then Paul moved away and he went to go te- to teach other churches and what he would do is he would write these letters to them and somehow they would get to him. I mean, there was no Pony Express. There was sure as anything, not any Facebook. Um, there was nothing that they could, he could get email or uh, letters to. So they had to be hand-delivered. And every now and then, he would deliver them a letter. He would write them a letter, and somehow it would get delivered to them. They would take these letters, and they would copy them because they were precious. This was the guy that started their church. They were precious letters. They would copy them over and over and over again. And eventually, some of those letters got compiled together and put into a book in the Bible called Philippians. All right, there's some background for you. That's how we got this letter. This is a letter from a man named Paul who started this church. And he says this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I've got to be honest with you. I was in Charlotte this week, and I heard about the bus. Um, Rick was blowing up my phone. Allison... PR marketing mode, you know, m- making sure we know what, how we're going to deal with this and who needs to be told and how we're going to, and I, I'm a long way away thinking not that anybody needs me, but I would just like to be there, you know, I'd like to see the bus, I'd like to hear what's going on, I'd like to see Rick cry, because I'm sure he's crying about something, you know, and I would like to be with my peeps, you know, but I could not be here, and I was preparing for this message, and I read this piece of scripture. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I pray with joy because I love you and I like to be with you and I I miss you. But that's not the reason completely. I agree with Paul. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Because of this thing that we're doing together. Because here's exactly what I heard when I heard the bus. I, I, I don't think it's because I'm spiritual. I don't think, I know it's not because I'm more spiritual than any of you because it's just not true. I'm sitting in Charlotte and I think because I was so far away from the actual physical thing, my first thought was, God's going to do something stupid with this. Like, it's going to be one of those things that we have to hold the doors back. Because when this community hears that this bus is gone, the doors are going to fly off of generosity around here. And for once, since the, I don't know if you, many of you were here since the flood. Um, the flood in, what was that, 2004-ish? Eight, that's what I was thinking. Um, 2008. <laughs> I don't even think I was here in 2004, was I? Um, 2008, we had a big flood around here, um, and it was the same thing. It was like this disaster. It was awful. And at the same time, our church kind of, like all the people in our church ramped up. Like, we just, all of a sudden, we came together, and it's one of the best things. When I think of remembering you um, and remembering the church, I will never forget what it was like delivering water with Susie on a golf cart, you know, and her running around throwing water at people's door and saying, God loves you, and us tearing out carpet from houses, and I'll never forget that. And when it came to this time, it was like, yeah, something big is going to happen, and people are going to be focused on us, not because of what we stand against, but because of how we react to a mess. People are going to flock to new life, not because of us, but because of God. And if we, if people are going to look at us, we sure as anything better be representing God. And the God I know, the God of the Bible, the God of Philippians, the God of Paul, would not look at the boys that took this bus, would not look at those kids and judge them, would first love them, and second, 
give them grace and hope and joy. And then lastly, would redeem the mess in such a way that you are almost glad it happened. That's the God that started this church. That's the Jesus that these people follow. He says, being confident this. Here's what I know, he says. Paul had a different way of looking at God. He had a different way of looking at Jesus. And I've been working really hard to understand the way he looks at it. Because I believe if we can figure out how to view God and how to view our lives the way Paul did, we can make a change to the world and to Paragon like he did. I believe that honestly. That is not hyperbole. That is not just something they pay me to say. I believe if we can figure out who we are and who God is in the right way, it will change everything. And here's what he says. Now, now look up here if you've fallen asleep because this is, this is the essence of Christianity. This is why we follow Jesus. He says, I'm confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. Now, wait a minute. How can that be the essence of Christianity? Isn't the essence of Christianity, don't get in trouble, don't sin, don't mess up, don't do this, don't do that. No, no, no. This is Christianity is that when you say yes, like three people are going to do today at the end of our service, when you say yes to God, and by the way, that's the only prerequisite to this gift. There's no like list of things you have to do. The, the, the answer is just yes, and when the answer is yes, it's yours. And when you say yes to God, God begins something in you. Now, wait a minute, though. Don't I have to do devotions every day, and don't I have to journal, and don't I have to like go to church exactly this amount of times a month or this many times a year before God starts. No, no, no. God began it in you. You didn't begin it. Do you see this today? This is huge. If you can get this today, those of you who are going to be baptized today, God's beginning something in you. Okay, so what do I have to do? You have to let God do his thing. Yeah, but don't I have to? You need to just chill a minute. God began something in you. He's looking for your partnership. He's looking to do something in you that you will allow him to do. And if you're today, you're going, that seems too easy. You've been sold the wrong Jesus. If you've been given a list of things that you have to do in order to be what God wants you to be, you've been sold the wrong God. The truth is, the God of Philippians, the God of Paul, The Jesus that showed up on this earth in the middle of your messes, in the middle of all the messes, came to say, all you say is yes, and God begins a work in you as you are right where you are. You need to cooperate with him. And the way you do that is you show up at church every now and then, whenever you can, and as often as humanly possible, and you are desperate, not for you to figure out what list of things you need to do, but for God to do his thing in you, for you to respond to it, and for you to just organically move in the direction he wants you to move this changed the world see christianity is not a list of things you don't do in fact christianity is not even a list of things you do christianity the way jesus sold it and the way paul believed it is a slow change from the inside out that god is doing in you he isn't trying to keep you from something he's trying to complete something inside of This is the hardest law in my life. Some of you love this. Some of you are farmers or you come from farming background and the law of harvest is your favorite thing in the world. You plant something and then you do this. 
water a little, grow? Now, that's not true. I know farmers work harder than just about anybody else. But when it comes to harvest, you don't plant it and then tomorrow look to get it, right? This, that's the way I do everything, man. If I go work out in the gym, I, I, I haven't worked out for a month, and then I go on a Monday. Tuesday, I wake up, and I'm mad because I haven't already lost nine pounds and got cut, you know? I, I, that's the way I want. I want I want it now, and I want it to happen. Some of you are like that with your faith. Hey, God, I, I want all this change right now, but this slow, inside-out change that God starts in you, that work that Paul says he began in you, is Jesus uses the law of the harvest over and over. He's planted something in you that needs to be watered. That's why you come here. It needs to, to be fed, and that's why you not just sit and listen to the word, but that's why you come to church and you serve and you help in children's ministry, even though you don't even like kids. That's why you end up in the nursery, even though you don't know how to change a diaper. That's why you end up singing when you didn't know you could sing. All of those things start to grow something different in you. Here's what it is. Here's what God's doing in you. I hope this gives you a deep breath today. Here are the two things God wants to do in you today. He wants to make you more secure. There are some of you in the room today, and I know this well because my kids are already dealing with it, and I remember it so deeply in my own life, and I still struggle with this at times. This thought that, am I, do I really have what I think I have here with God? Am I really forgiven? Do I really have this thing? He wants you to be secure, and not just secure in your faith, not just secure in your salvation, not just secure in your relationship with him, but secure in your life. He wants you to be in a place where you're not, you're not counting on other things in your life to bring you peace and hope and joy. I mean, I, it's almost football season. I say that because it's always football season. Almost NFL football season, and Sam's Wholesale Club will start putting their big screen TVs even closer to the front door. And I am 40 years old, and to this day, I will walk into Sam's Club, and I will, my brain will immediately go to how much happier I could be if my screen was 10 inches bigger, and now 4K, and curved a little bit on the edges, you know? I, for some reason, there is this thing built in us that wants to find hope and peace and joy in the things that can't give it to us. And so when we buy those things and when we engage in those things, when we engage in that relationship with that girl and we take it further than we know we should have or we drink that thing too much or we, we smoke too much or we do this thing too much and we think it's going to bring us that peace and hope and joy and then it doesn't, it pushes us farther from God. It makes us feel as though God doesn't love us, though we're not getting lucky, that somehow we're not getting karma. Some of you still believe in karma. That's as far away from what God teaches and what Jesus teaches than anything. There is no karma in God's mind. There is no, um, there is no astrology in God. God takes care of all of that stuff. And when you start looking for luck, you know you have been putting your peace and hope and joy in TVs and people and alcohol and money. And when you do that, it pushes you farther from God. And if you can get to a point, this is what God's wanting to grow in you right now. He's proving to you that he's what you're looking for. He is growing this thing inside you. So if it's this, if it right now you kind of believe that, like on Sundays when the preacher's talking, you kind of believe that God is really what you want. And it's like this little tiny thing, but the big screen TV is a little bit bigger, you know? And the people and the money is like, I, I, I would like to try to make money make me happy and just rule that out, you know? And you're kind of just, and it's just this little thing. God just wants it to get a little bit bigger every day. And until you're gone from this earth, he wants you to become more and more secure, not only in your faith, not only in your salvation, but also in the fact that he is in charge of your life. 
And no matter how many buses get burnt, no matter how many electrical lines get shut off, that he's in charge, that he is moving you forward, that he's in love with you, and he has a plan. And every day he wants that to grow. So our job here at New Life, those of us who are leading New Life, especially as your preacher, is to take chances like this with the bus or chances like the death in your family or these things and not leverage them, not use them, not manipulate you with them, but, but point out the things where God is going, see that right there? In the midst of the junk, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the whole, that little thing right there that God's doing, pull that out of the mess and add that to the thing that God is growing inside you. Just get a little bit bigger, a little bit better every day. Secondly, he wants to make you more mature. As much as I hate, as a father, um, my kids growing up, um, you know, I, I, I see my son, Reese, and I swear, man, every day I can see him growing taller, and his voice gets a little deeper, and he says something a little smarter, and there's a part of me that just wants to go, no, you know? Both of them have, like, one little thing that they still say, that they say backwards. You know those cute things your kids say? And I'm, I used to correct them, and now I'm just praying they, they still say it that way. Like, I don't want them to start saying it the right way. Both of them have one of those two little things, and, and Reese just started saying his right this week, and I saw it happen. He's like, he said it, and then he looked at me, and then he said it right. And I went, oh, there it is. The moment, that's it. And the truth is, it, it's, it's hard as a parent to see them grow, but the antithesis would be much harder. Can you imagine Reese being... 25 years old, coming home and speaking the same way he speak, spoke when he was six. Having the same look outlook on life when he's 25 as he does when he's six. How painful would that be as a father? Well, that's the question, right? Because what Jesus said was, you want to know how God feels about you? Think about how you would feel as a perfect father. What if God started something in you when you were in your 20s? And when you got into your 40s, you came to God and you sat on his couch and you said the exact same things you were saying when you were 20. You hadn't grown at all. You hadn't matured. You hadn't done anything. That is so painful for a good father to see that the people he loves most aren't doing anything to move forward in their growth. In fact, sometimes they're regressing. God wants you to be more secure. He wants you to see differently. He wants you to be more mature. He wants you to understand that tomorrow ought to be better than today when it comes to the things that are most important in his life. And you know what the most important things to God are? This is going to surprise you. Pay attention. What God means by maturity is this. <laughs> Paul continues in this letter. He says the coolest thing. You know, when I pray, I, I realize this is one of those things that God's got to listen to my prayers and go, what? Like, uh, what are you praying? And you can pray about anything you want, but you should pray about little things, and then you should pray about big things. And when you pray about big things, you should pray about huge things. You should pray that God would do amazing things. Not that God would do this one little thing that just pertained to you. This is what Paul does. Look what he says. After he says, I love you guys, and I think about you all the time, and I want God to continue to grow that thing inside of you that he's growing, he says this, and this is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for all of you. I just stole his. That's what you do when you find smart people. That your love may abound more in knowledge and in depth of insight. Wait a minute. 
Paul, all of the things you could pray. You could pray that we would have a lot of money. You could pray that we would get a lot of, uh, we make the right choices in life. That we would, be beha- we would behave better. If that was important to Paul, what he would have said is, I'm praying you're going to be mature. You know what maturity means? It means you behave. It's not what he says at all. Paul doesn't even mention behavior when he says the way he hopes that we mature. He says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You know what's pure and blameless to God? A growing love for people. That's what maturity looks like. See, here's the thing. God isn't trying to make you better at behavior. He's making you a better lover of people. That thing that he's growing inside of you, that maturity, he's not trying to make you a better behavior. Any more than I'm trying to make Reese a better behavior. As his, as, as his dad, my job is not to make sure, and by the way, if, if you feel like that's your job as a parent today, you need to take another look at it. That your job as a parent is somehow to make your kids behave. You have missed the point of parenting. You have missed the point of loving someone. You have missed the point of helping someone grow. Your job is to change the way they think, change the way they love, change the way they see God, change the way they see other people. Not to just change what happens on the outside. If you really love somebody, if you are really desperate to raise them right, if you want to lead them to maturity, you take them from the inside out. You get their heart right first. And by the way, you get the heart right and the behavior starts to take care of itself. And at very least, the conversation's easier. I feel like we got this right with London by accident or by divine intervention. London is 10 years old and she's the best human I know. She's a better human than me. I will, sometimes I literally will think when I'm mad at somebody or when somebody says something to me in form of gospel, I'll think, what, what would London say about that? 10 years old. And the reason I believe this happens, and it doesn't, it's not just about me as a parent, my wife is amazing and that's a big part of it. And her grandmother, she calls her Nana, has poured into her. And her papa and many of you and so many of these people have poured into her. And never, ever, ever has it, have they made her feel, felt like what we want from you, London, is to behave. What we want most from you, the most important thing is for you to sit with your legs folded at dinner and let the grown-ups have a conversation. That's all we care about. What we began in London very early, and I'm not saying that I am responsible for this. I'm saying I had a little part of it, and I've messed it up at times and had to go back and fix it. When we talk to London about her life, we talk about the way she treats other people. We talk about how you feel when you're mad or you're tired or you're angry, and you say something to somebody you wish you hadn't have said. What do you do now? And she began to get that at an early age, and now she's to the point where she is a delight at dinner with the adults. And I never once told her to be a delight with dinner at the adults. In fact, if I ever hint to her that she's being rude, she'll start crying immediately. She's been around Rick Finney too much. (laughs) Discipline is not a problem with her. And I'm starting to see the same thing with my son. The more you dive into them with love, the more you say, inside out is what I care about. It begins to change. God knows this. The best father, the great father, capital F, 
knows that you need to be changed from the inside out. And he is not about your behavior. He is about you being a better lover of people. And if you're an old Christian today and you have never heard that, I'm praying you get so mad at me that we will have a conversation that is so deep that I can say directly to your face, you are an immature person if your life is about behavior and not about the way you love other people. And if we need to have an argument about it, I love you that much. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian yet, and God is trying to push you to something, you need to know here's what God wants to push you to. He wants you to love people differently. He wants to grow that in you because he knows that will change you in the way you need to be changed. Band, you guys can come up. Jesus was sitting um, one time with a group of guys who were frustrated about this. They were mad because Jesus kept spending time with people who were behaving poorly. And he kept growing things in them, and he kept looking into them and forgiving things so that he could see their heart and growing up these things. And by the way, these guys ended up changing the world, these guys who weren't very good at behaving, but whose hearts began to shape. Jesus used them to change the world. And he was sitting, sitting with them one day, and they were walking to, to church, and basically it was the temple. And the temple at that point was the place you would go to sacrifice something. Now, since Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we believe that was the last sacrifice. It was the last time that there would ever have to be any kind of blood sacrifice given. And, and now what you do is you accept that sacrifice on behalf of you for all of your sins. But at this point in history, you would actually have to travel to the temple with something that you were going to sacrifice. It was a bird in a cage. It was an animal that you're leading, a goat or something. You're going to sacrifice, and you would take it to the priest and the priest would sacrifice it on your behalf and your sins would be forgiven and here's what jesus said he's walking with a group of people and they're on their way to the temple and they all have their sacrifices and he gets up to the front and you have to stand in line can you imagine this it's hot you're standing with a goat you know is going to die and you're kicking it because you're mad at it and it's trying to eat things and you're or you're holding a bird cage and it's pooping down your leg and you're you're standing here in a line full of people and you've been standing there maybe for an hour. And Jesus turns around and he says, hey guys, you need to pull yourself out of line right now. Jesus, we've been standing there and we got these animals and we just let's kill the animals first and then we'll talk, right? No, no, no. First things first. Yeah, we know, Jesus, God is always first. Yeah, God is first, but not the way you think. In fact, every time you go to church... Every time you go to sacrifice something to me, if you're on your way there with your sacrifice and there you remember that you have something against somebody that God has put in your life, that you have had an argument that you haven't resolved, that you have a problem with somebody else in your life that God has put in your life, every time that happens, you stop. You let the goat loose. You tie it to a tree. And you run to the person. And you get that figured out first. And once you get that figured out, then you come back and you get your goat and you take it to God. Now wait a minute. That sounds like I'm putting people before God. No, no, no. Jesus says, I'm changing the stakes. You want to put God first? You put the people in your life first. That's how you put God first. Man, you tired of hearing about priorities? You tired of hearing about God, church, family, country, those things? This is real simple the way Jesus left us. You want to know what God wants most from you? You love the people around you. At all costs. You let him sort out the rest. Jesus said, you want to know how you're doing with God? You want to know how you and God are doing in a relationship? If you've been a Christian a long time and you're trying to figure out how you and God are doing, this is how you know. How are you doing with the people that he's put in your life? 
That's the measuring stick that Jesus set up. So I'm going to ask you today to not be fooled by typical Christianity. See, typical Christianity is this. What should I not do? How can I, how can I not get in trouble? Like bear sitting on your couch. Well, just hope I don't go back to jail. And I'll be a good Christian. Couldn't be anything further from what God's asking. Don't get stuck into that. Don't settle for staying out of messes in your life. Because let me tell you, once you become a Christian, you start loving people, the messes just build. Work with God to complete what he started in you. And start with a prayer. Right here, right now, this morning. Maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe when you prayed, it's one of those now I lay me down to sleep prayers that really don't mean anything. Maybe you've never actually said to God, God, do something on the inside of my heart. Not just on the outside, not just in my behavior. I want to start from the inside out. I, I don't know exactly what that means in your life, but that's between you and him. I've done my job. God's going to, right now, right this moment, if you allow him, he's going to use this message, he's going to use something you heard, he's going to use something you saw to start to grow, to start to finish the thing that he started in you, to complete it a little bit further. Your job is just to say, I'm all yours. What next? So would you stand with me and sing this morning if there's anything in you that wants to say, I want that? Maybe for the first time, come right up here in the front and we'll take care of that together. You sing right to God today.